brain is, is a female is constantly scanning our environment. Are we safe enough and healthy enough to have a baby? My name is Renee and I'm Lauren. We are the biohacker babes. We're sisters and we're joining forces to empower you to become your own biohacker and upgrade your life. The Biohacker Babes podcast aims to provide insight into the body's natural healing abilities, strengthen your intuition, and empower you with techniques and modalities to optimize your health and wellness. Because life is too short to not feel your best every single day. This podcast offers health, fitness, and nutritional information and is designed for educational purposes only. You should not rely on this information as a substitute for, nor does it replace professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. If you have any concerns or questions about your health, you should always consult with a physician or other healthcare professional. Thank you for joining us and welcome to the show. Welcome to episode 98 of the Biohacker Babes. I'm Lauren recording from New York City and I'm joined by my sister Renee. Hello from Las Vegas. <laughs> hey Vegas. And we are bringing on Dr. Carrie Jones today. We are so, so excited to have her. She is the medical director of the Dutch test, which is our preferred hormone test that we use a lot in our practice. She is awesome. She's so smart. She is funny. If you're not following her on Instagram already, don't pause this episode, but go to Instagram and start <laughs> following her right now. She is just really helpful in, in explaining women's hormones she does really funny Instagram reels and she makes things just super, super relatable and easy to understand. So we are so grateful for her and we really think she is a true expert in this realm. She really is. I mean, she's my go-to for anything hormone related. If I ever have a question, I'll either go to like the Dutch website and look at videos or I'll go to her Instagram and see if I can find the answer. And like you said, she just makes everything so easy to understand. And yes, hormones are very complicated, but she really <laughs> breaks it down and makes it easier for all of us to understand, which I really appreciate. And we had so many questions for her today. We got through maybe half of them. I know. <laughs> she just so much great information. So we'll probably have to have her back on Monday to answer the rest of our questions, but absolutely. But <laughs> if you have questions about cortisol and estrogen, that's really where we spend most of our time today, especially with estrogens, with all of the environmental toxins and xenoestrogens, and also how to get rid of estrogens if you are stopped up. So lots of fun stuff. And before we bring her on, I'm going to read you her bio. Dr. Carrie Jones is an internationally recognized speaker, consultant, and educator on the topic of women's health and hormones. Dr. Jones graduated from the National University of Natural Medicine in Portland, Oregon, where she also completed a two-year residency in women's health, hormones, and endocrinology. Later, she graduated from Grand Canyon University's Master of Public Health program. Recently, Dr. Jones became board certified through the American Board of Naturopathic Endocrinology. She was adjunct faculty for many years, teaching gynecology and advanced endocrinology fertility. While in practice, Dr. Jones served as medical director for two large integrative clinics in Portland. She is currently the medical director for Precision Analytical. Side note, precision analytical is the Dutch test. So if you're not familiar with this test, you'll know a little bit more about it after this episode, and then you can check out the website or contact us if you want to learn a little bit more. Great. Let's go ahead and bring her on. Welcome, Dr. Carrie. We're so happy to have you here with us today. Oh my gosh. Thank you so much for having me on. We have been really looking forward to this. We have to tell you, you are our everyday woman crush. We think you're awesome. Um, you're just so much fun and you're just so knowledgeable about hormones and women's health. And as the medical director of Dutch, you have an amazing understanding of all the steroid pathways, all the hormone conversions, and you really present it in such an easy, relatable way. Like what could be so freaking difficult. <laughs> you, you have like these amazing Instagram, Instagram reels that are just so funny. And I think for a lot of people, we put hormones in this separate category where it's just like our moods when we're going through our cycle, or it has to do with fertility, but not overall health. So maybe to kick this off, can you explain why hormones really are so important? Oh my gosh. Cause they drive everything, right? <laughs> I mean, how many times yeah. have you said yourself, I feel hormonal or it's my hormones or your friend is like, oh my gosh, I'm feeling really hormonal today. And hormonal has just become this umbrella term because we don't get taught a lot about what it means as a woman. We get taught when we're 
in maybe middle school or even high school, like, okay, here's how not to have a baby or, you know, or how, how to have a baby when you get there. Um, and, and then it's, that's it. Like, that's kind of the basics. And it's like, you know, you get your period and good luck, like more power <laughs> to you. And nobody really teaches us what's normal, you know, what could commonly go wrong, what happens when it's not about fertility, but it's about everything else. What happens as you get older and it's perimenopause. It's, it's amazing the number of women who are like, I never knew that. I never got taught that. Like, really? Gosh, I didn't realize that. I mean, just some of that basic anatomy physiology. And that's really what sort of drove my passion into hormones because I ended up just educating all the time in my practice to women who had really great questions. They were too afraid to ask anyone and they weren't sure if Google was right. And so they were like, can I, like the number of times I even explained to women, like how to have sex, you know, like how to, like what it just like where like where urine comes from, like which hole, you know, just these basic things that I thought, oh my gosh, hormones really are involved in all of this, like how we feel, our mood, our skin, our hair, our heart, our blood sugar, right, our sleep, um, and so that's why hormones just make the world go round. Or for some women, they don't. They come to a screeching halt. So it's important yeah. to understand them. Yeah. Absolutely. And you've been really passionate about hormones for a long time. Was there something that like instigated that for you or started it? So I've known since I was a little girl that I wanted to be a doctor and I thought I wanted to be an OBGYN or like pediatrician. I kind of thought I wanted to be more family health or, or maternal type health. And then when I got into naturopathic medicine, I met my mentor who primarily only focused in women's health not the OB part. She did all the gynecology. And I thought, oh, this is what I want to do. This is exactly, I feel, I feel like, you know, God bless our pediatricians, you know, and those who focus in OB, but it's, I wanted really specific just to focus on women. I wanted to learn one thing and, and hopefully learn it well, as opposed to also having to learn babies and also having to learn pediatrics. And so that I just kept finding out as a woman and a lot of my friends or in class, you know, you're sitting in class and you're going through it and you're like, oh, I'm a woman. And I didn't know that. Like, oh, I am this many years old before I learned that. Huh? That's not good. <laughs> yeah. And I wanted, yeah. and yeah. I found that as I got into practice, I had the same experience. I had all these women who were like, um, I didn't know that. I didn't know that's how that worked. Or again, back to the general, I feel hormonal. I don't know what that means. I just know I feel bad. And so yeah. that's why yeah. I focused on it. Awesome. Have you ever thought about putting together a program for preteens, like for younger girls? You know, it's funny. I had a lot of preteens in my practice. You in when my practice, I didn't do pediatrics. So I would say to the moms, I'm like, they like you have to have at least started your period before you can come see me. Like otherwise you're truly can kind of considered pediatric, even though technically 18 is the cutoff. Because once they started getting their period, they had so many questions they just didn't want to ask their mom. Although I find girls now are because of social media and because of the internet, they are more savvy. And so, you know, my kids were and are like, they're totally open to asking questions. They ask, my 20 year old asked me questions all the time. And I'm like, this is great. But, you know, also at a household that it's what I do. And I, I encouraged it. So it is definitely something yeah. I think is needed. Um, and I'm sure it's out there by other wonderful practitioners um, who like, I'm sure there are preteen courses. I have not created one yet. I almost feel like I need, um, instead of a preteen course, I almost feel like I need just a, um, like welcome to the female body course just for women. Like, I think a lot of women would just take it to be like, I didn't know that. <laughs> and I'd like to know more. Yeah. Like the number of women who yeah. have, as an example, got divorced. And so maybe they've been married for a while or it was their first person ever, or, you know, they don't have a lot of experience just in, in maybe sexual health. They would get divorced and they would come to me and they would go, you know, it, um, it's been a long while and I don't know really how things work. Like I figured it out, you know, back way back when, when I got married, but now that I'm older and I'm single and I'm getting back in the dating stage, like, can you really tell me more about my period? Can you tell me more about these symptoms? Can you tell me more about fertility, pregnancy, pregnancy avoidance? And I was mm -hmm. like, oh yeah, I feel like we kind of need a, like an, like an after high school, like once manual. you've been through puberty. Yeah. Like <laughs> yeah. the next stage manual for women. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. More I mean, that seventh grade ed. course needs to be knocked out because everything was just so taboo then. like the teachers yeah. didn't even want to be teaching it. And then going into college, we should have, we should definitely have stages of manuals because Renee yes. and I are in our thirties and we still every year we're like, wow, yeah. just learn that. 
I'm yeah. in my forties. I'll be 44 in two weeks. And, uh, I, I had so many women that were like, um, what are these? Why am I hot? I'm like, Oh, those are called hot flashes. They're like, why am I having them? I'm like, Ooh, cause you're perimenopausal. They're like, what's that? Yeah. <laughs> yeah I'm like, well, Oh, right. <laughs> we need a course <laughs> for that too. Take a step back. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's just like puberty and menopause. There's like, there's nothing in between. There's Don't worry nothing about it. in between. I know it's ridiculous. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, I think, I mean, a big problem with hormones for women is that, you know, they're going to their doctor, maybe if they're not feeling well, they're doing a blood test and then their hormones come back, you know, normal. Right. And then they just get really frustrated. And that's one of the reasons why Lauren and I love the Dutch test so much, because it does give us this big complete picture. Mm -hmm. Um, so maybe you can share with everyone why are, you know, looking at uh, urine tests better than blood tests for hormones. Um, I say it's because it gives you layers. So when you get your blood test, which is great, you get this nice superficial overview of what's happening in your blood in that moment, but it doesn't tell you how you are processing your hormones. And I think that's what a lot of women and, and men, honestly, want to know. Like they want to know what their hormones are and then where they're going and what they're doing, because you could have completely normal levels of testosterone, let's say in your bloodstream. But yet when we do a urine test and we get to see, because it, when your hormones go through these pathways, they then get released out into the urine. So we pick it up on urine, but we don't pick it up in blood. So you could have totally normal levels of testosterone. But when we look at a urine test, we're like, oh, but then you go down the pathway that causes chin hair and cystic acne and female pattern baldness and anger and irritation. And then women are like, oh, that's why I'm having all those symptoms. I went to my doctor. I reported those symptoms. They drew my testosterone, told me it was fine. And it's not fine. I'm like, no, it's actually going down the, it's the pathway it's chosen or your body is chosen and we can do something about that. Same for estrogen. Right. Women are, you know, everyone freaks out, of course, about estrogen and estrogen related symptoms, PMS, breast tenderness, heavy periods, clots, endometriosis, fibroids, breast cancer. And so you go, you get your blood checked and they're like, oh yeah, your estrogen's right in range for where it should be. You're like, well, why am I a PMS mess? Like, why are my periods so heavy? And you know, like why, why, why do I need to be concerned about breast cancer, estrogen related breast cancer? And the nicest thing again about the urine test is we get these pathways, you make estrogen and then how does your body handle it? And some of the pathways are less concerning and some of the pathways are more concerning. Some of the pathways cause growth. So those women with fibroids, full tender breasts that hurt, heavy periods, obviously there's lots of reasons for that. But if we find it's this particular pathway, let's do something about it. Let's, let's, let's get you off or reduce or mitigate that pathway. And that's why I like the right. test so much. And it's collected home. You don't have to have a blood draw. So lots of people who don't like needles or are concerned to go to a lab or a hospital, you know, right now at this time, they like that they can have an at-home collection test. Yeah. Especially yeah. in this last year. And I have to say, mm -hmm. I love the salivette so much more than spitting in a tube. I'm like, thank you. Yes. Yeah. So much the cortisol easier. aspect. We, so if anyone's ever done a saliva test before, um, which is literally for historically you spit in a test tube. And if you've ever had to do it, you have to generate a lot of saliva and you have to do it rather quickly. Um, to get it into the tube and the bubbles don't count. So if you've ever spit in a tube, right, it's all these like bubbles and to like knock them down. It's, it's a pain. <laughs> so what we, but we don't test hormone. We don't test estrogen or progesterone or testosterone off of our saliva. We only check cortisol. So we are able to do what are called salivate swabs. They're basically cotton swabs that you pop in your mouth, get wet and stick back in the tube. So it's no spitting. It's great for people who have dry mouth, especially in the morning. Um, and you know, don't like spitting, think it's gross, kind of smells, you know, like all the things. So it's really yeah. nice to have that option. So great. So when I first started studying FDN 10 years ago, we were using the biohealth 205, mm -hmm. which I thought was so cool. It, it, and it was, yeah, it was revolutionary Dutch back test. then. Yeah. But when I found the Dutch, I was like, oh man, that was like a 50 piece puzzle versus a <laughs> 5,000 piece puzzle. This is amazing. Mm -hmm. so the Dutch is just so intricate. There's so many layers to it. Like you said, I'm just curious, do you have a favorite marker or a favorite part of the test? A favorite part of the, well, I have a favorite hormone. My favorite hormone is DHEA, DHEAS, um, is, but I don't know that it's my like favorite marker. I would say my favorite part, I have two favorite parts of the test. One would be the estrogen 
sort of metabolism or estrogen detoxification. Being a woman, um, breast cancer is in my family and just talking to lots and lots of women all the time. I really like knowing this, speaking of the puzzle analogy, this piece of that puzzle for women. And I know that it's well-researched how we can shift it, change it, you know, through diet, lifestyle, supplements, what have you, which is so wonderful that women aren't necessarily uh, tasked for life with having like, oh gosh, you're on the pathway that causes growth. Like, good luck. Sorry. Instead, it's like, oh, you're on the pathway that causes growth. Let's try to reduce that through these researched ways. And that's why I love. Now, the other part of the test I like is the cortisol part because we check multiple aspects of cortisol. We check how much is free and available? We can we answer the question: Do you even make it in the first place? Can do you have that ability? Um, we check if you deactivate. I'm a deactivator. Well, I was in March. I got I did my own test. <laughs> Me too, of course, right? And so <laughs> yeah, I think we're all my, the same there, right? And burnout, burnout. Hashtag burnout is real. And I have low free cortisol, which a lot of people would interpret as, oh my gosh, take all these stimulatory herbs and supplements and whatnot, take adaptogens, take licorice, take, you know, take, 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 take. And in my case, like you guys, I, I make cortisol. I just deactivate it. And so mm-hmm. getting to my root cause had nothing to do with production. Don't stimulate. My gland is fine. What I was doing was deactivating. And so when you deactivate cortisol, it makes you tired because your body's like, Hey, you're burning the candle at both ends. Let's slow your roll and deactivate it so that you can't bind to receptors and do the things. And so I got a lot of questions. I posted my results in social media. Why didn't you take adaptogens? Why didn't you take glandulars? Why didn't you take licorice? Why did, you know, why didn't you just like throw everything about the adrenals at your adrenals? I'm like, cause it's not a, my gland is fine. I yeah, was the problem. Yeah. I was yeah. me. <laughs> I was the problem. So much more complex. Bur- right. I was burning the candle at both ends and I needed to slow down and take care of myself and make other adjustments. And so that's why I like the Dutch is that I could look at that and see that and go, oh, uh, it's me. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. I'm the me problem. <laughs> so a, a lot of the saliva tests for cortisol, they'll just do like morning, midday, evening, but mm-hmm. Dutch has the cortisol awakening response. I love that like second collection. Can you explain yeah. why that's so important to do two in the morning? The cortisol awakening response is exactly what you think it sounds like. It happens on awakening and it happens within the first 30 to 45 minutes of waking. And it's when your cortisol goes from kind of low, really low to way up there very quickly. And it's when your eyes open up and you register that you're awake, you're conscious and light comes into your eyes, then poof, cortisol goes up. It's a natural response. It's to get your butt out of bed. It's to protect you. It's to lower inflammation. It's to give you a little bit of blood sugar because you've been fasting all night long. And so what we need to know, though, is what is your cortisol on waking? Because that's baseline. So when you wake up, open your eyes, immediately you pop the saliva swab in your mouth. And then 30 minutes later, you do it again because I want to see, do you even have the ability to make cortisol? Does it go up normally? And then 30 minutes later, we do it again. So I want to know what happens on waking, what happens 30 minutes later, and what happens 30 minutes later. Because I want to know, it's a very quick within an hour um, natural phenomenon that happens. But if you don't do it, like let's say yours is low or flatlined, then people tend to say, I'm really tired in the morning. I feel inflamed in the morning. I hit snooze multiple times. I need a lot of coffee. And so my cheater questions, always the same. I'll say, how long does it take you to feel alert in the morning. Research says it should take you between 30 and 45 minutes. And if it mm-hmm. takes you two hours and cups of coffee, you probably have an unhealthy cortisol awakening response that's struggling. On the flip side, if you say, oh my goodness, I wake up and I go from zero to a hundred and I'm anxious and I'm panic and I'm hypervigilant and I'm like checking my phone and my to-do list and I'm on fire. I'm like, ooh, ha. You probably have a really high cortisol awakening response. Let's address this. Yeah. I'll never forget. I heard you say this a year ago, Lauren, we've talked about this, how you said, um, if you ever wake up in the morning and you're like, oh, I feel like I'm maybe getting sick or something. Mm -hmm. And then an hour later, you're like, oh no, I'm fine. And that the role of cortisol in that. Yes. Cortisol is anti-inflammatory to a point. And so that's one of the aspects of that cortisol going up. Now people freak out. People are like, oh, I didn't think I wanted my cortisol high. I thought my, I thought a high cortisol is bad. I'm like, well, there's truly high. And then there's a normal 
physiologic rise in cortisol in the morning. So what we're talking about is it does go up, but it goes up in a healthy expected manner. That's what's considered normal. So I'm like, yeah, it goes up in the morning, but it's supposed to within these ranges. So because it's anti-inflammatory and it can be in a sense, suppressive to the immune system. So just like you, so when it's low, when you wake up and you're like, oh, it got me, I'm sick, my throat, you know, I feel kind of achy <laughs> and feverish. And then you get up, you take a shower, you get moving. Now your cortisol has gone up in theory. It should. And you think, oh, I feel so much better. I wonder what happened. I wasn't sick. I wonder why I was sick. I wonder why I felt sick. Cortisol plays a role in that. And then what can happen is you go through your day Cortisol naturally goes down through the day. Uh, cortisol is like the sun. Melatonin is like the moon. And so people will start to say, man, as it gets dark out, as it's getting night again, I feel inflamed again. I feel kind of achy again. I feel like it's got me again. Like your cortisol is hmm. dropping down. There probably is something going on behind, mildly affecting your immune system, but cortisol is right. enough in the morning to like overcome it. And then you push through your day and then at night, Cortisol is like, I did my job. I'm going to bed. Good luck. And you feel terrible. <laughs> yeah. That's yeah. why my bug bites always itch so much when I'm sleeping. Yes. Yes. Oh, that's that's terrible. <laughs> so for someone with a low car, other than getting sunlight within 30 minutes of waking, do you have any other diet and lifestyle recommendations? Whatever they up? do, do it in that first 30 minutes. And so sometimes people are put on supplements. Maybe they're taking a, a adaptogens. They're taking herbs specific for the adrenals. They're taking B vitamins. Um, they're, they're doing like, they're doing some yoga or some stretching or whatever it is to get going. And so I'll say, do it in the first 30 minutes. Cause what happens is you tell people like, okay, here's your morning regimen of things you should take. And what do people do? They get up, they eat, they eat breakfast or they work out, they shower, you know, they get started at work. And then they're like, oh crap, my morning supplements, you know, and like an hour or two or sometimes at lunch, <laughs> then they, then they take their supplements. Great is a in general, but if you're specifically trying to target the, the car, then work with the timing. So you have to do it within 30 minutes. The mm -hmm. caveat is the people who are on thyroid medication, thyroid medication. She's a diva. She likes <laughs> to be the only thing in your stomach by a good solid hour at least. So if you are listening to this and you're like, Oh, but I take thyroid medication in the morning. And then I wait and take my supplements because thyroid's a diva that you have, that's what you have to do. Like, I, I don't have a, I don't have a biohack for that. Some people take thyroid at night. Some people set their alarm at four or five in the morning, take their thyroid and go back to bed. But a lot of, a lot of women just wake up and take their thyroid. And so in that case, I'm like, just use sunlight to your advantage in the first 30 yeah. minutes, get some movement, do some stretching, you know, and, um, take your supplements when you can, when you're allowed after your thyroid. So that is the one caveat. Yeah. That's a great tip. Helpful. Mm -hmm. So I'd love to come back to our hormones. So just like cortisol and inflammation, estrogen is mm -hmm. sort of demonized. It has kind of a bad reputation. Can she we does. talk about xenoestrogens and how that maybe shows up on a test and what that's doing to, well, I guess our entire health profile. Yeah. It's xenoestrogens, man, they're a pain in the, in the butt because they look enough like estrogen that they can fit into the estrogen receptor and turn it on, but they don't look, they aren't bioidentical to estrogen. So they don't show up on estrogen testing. So women can have normal estrogen in the blood and the saliva and the urine, but they feel very estrogenic. Again, it's like the heavy periods, it's the PMS, it's the moodiness, it's the breast tenderness, it's fibroids, worse endometriosis, what have you. And they're like, well, my testing was normal, but I have all the symptoms. I'm like, well, it's very possible. You have these chemicals in your body that mimic or look like estrogen and they're binding to the receptor and turning it on. Therefore, you get all the symptoms. They're turning on the PMS, you know, cascade. They're turning on the breast tenderness cascade. It's not from your actual estrogen. It's from these chemicals, parabens, phthalates, plastics. So let's do what we can to minimize this stuff in your life, switching to glass minimizing or avoiding fragrance, even the like decorative candles, they still off gas, things like that, right? The, all the scented things, um, yeah. saran wrap, plastic wrap, you know, as you just go through, uh, the things you use in a daily, in your daily life, you start to realize like, oh my gosh, I, I'm kind of surrounded by chemicals, detergent, skincare, deodorant, shampoo. And so doing what you can within your budget, to start to switch, starting to switch out of these products 
into maybe cleaner, less estrogen stimulating type, estrogen receptor type stimulating um, alternatives. Yeah. Even the water we drink has plastics in it and everyone's trying to pull back from drinking water out of plastics, but you don't realize that the plastic's already there. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. It's such a toxic world. The air we breathe. Coming from every direction. It's unfortunate. It's super unfortunate. Yeah. And then it affects everything downstream because it's hard to see in testing, you know, but yet women and men are reporting all these symptoms. I'm like, ugh. And be, a lot of them are fat soluble. They're fat soluble chemicals. So they live in our fat cells. And so um, then they're harder to get rid of. So if you're trying to, let's say you're mm-hmm. actively trying to lose weight, you're actively trying to decrease your fat storage as your fat cells release, um, you will then re-release these chemicals. And so I often hear from women and, and men too, who are doing weight loss programs, especially if it's kind of a more rapid weight loss program. They're like, oh my gosh, all my symptoms, what's going on? I'm super tired or my skin's breaking out or my PMS is terrible. I'm like, okay, you're actively dropping or, um, you know, breaking apart fat cells. And so as a result, you're releasing one, not only fatty acids, but the chemicals that were stored inside because they get attracted to fat. And so we have to make sure that your liver, your kidneys, your sweating ability, your breathing, these, we call these amunctories, the way you expel stuff out of you, urine, you know, like that we have to make sure that's working well so we can help your body get rid of this. Yeah. We were meant to excrete and so many people don't. So many people stuff it, right? Like they don't drink enough water and they like use deodorant that doesn't allow them to sweat. They don't like to sweat. They poop every couple of days. You know, I'm like, oh my goodness. I know. (laughs) Don't you want to get it out? (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Let it out. Please. I feel good. (laughs) Yeah. So, so someone could technically have like an estrogen dominance Mm -hmm. even without seeing it on the test. Yeah. And that's it. That's what's sneaky. Um, because, and in some sense, why conventional medicine, when they go see their doctor and they're like, well, your estrogen's normal. In some sense, they could be totally right. Their estrogen is normal. Their ovaries are not overproducing yeah. estrogen. It's the fact that they live in a heavily fragranced, lots of plastic chemicals, you know, what they put in their garden, what they clean their house. Like all this stuff has just been absorbed into the body and the body's having a tough time getting rid of it. And it's binding to receptors. And, yeah. and what's, more and more is coming out in the literature about this, you know, way back 10, 15, 20 years ago, this concept was like very woo woo and like, oh, you, you crazy hippie just trying to get me not to use aluminum in my deodorant. Now, fast forward. Oh my gosh, there's so much research on xenoestrogens, right? With an X, xenoestrogens, endocrine disrupting chemicals. If you type in endocrine disrupting chemicals, you'll find so much research on it. And, and like, oopsies, it's, it's real. It's very real. Yeah. Yeah. That's why we love the, um, the skin deep database on EWG just to be able to see what these chemicals are doing. I mean, it's right. Especially at the beginning of summer, everyone's crazy about you have to wear SPF. I'm like, right. But not that one. Right. But (laughs) but not, but read that label. Hold on. Yeah. Yeah. Don't put chemicals on your skin and then go keep them up outside. Yeah. Right. And UV. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. 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 So where does soy fit into that? Because Again, I think soy got a bad rep because of the whole estrogen issue. Right. Um, so soy, I think, is a really tricky one because soy is heavily GMO'd and it can be a heavily sprayed crop and um, sprayed with pesticides, fungicides, what have you. And it's um, because Americans tend to be like, oh, if a little bit's good, then a whole lot is better in various forms. So now we have soy ice cream and soy yogurt and soy bars and soy protein powder and soy replacement, soy burgers, like everything suddenly became soy. So what I tell people is I'm not opposed to soy, but I would stick to uh, the classic. I would stick to like tempeh, right? Like fermented. I would stick to edamame. I would stick to miso and try to make sure it's our, you know, kind of organic non-GMO type if you're going to go for soy. So I'm not opposed to soy, but I definitely in practice had vegans and vegetarians and they just lived on, they were so excited because, you know, they could get literally everything soy, everything somebody else could eat, they could eat in the form of soy, soy cottage cheese, you know, soy whipped cream, like soy everything. And I was like, I might be a little bit kind of chemically altered. That's a little too much so I don't, I think, don't know that you realize what you're doing. So yeah, I remember a couple of years ago, versions. yeah, yeah. A couple of years ago, I saw a woman checking out at Whole Foods in front of me and uh, I f- 
kind of feel bad saying this. She was probably like 250 pounds. She was pretty overweight. And her entire cart was what you just said. Soy, soy hot dog, soy yogurt, soy ice cream, soy milk. Um, And I just was like, do I say something? No, (laughs) she won't. I mean, right. Like she's not going to listen. And I'm sure people have tried to tell her and she's like, I stick to my vegetarian diet or this is, I was told this is healthier. And it's, I know it can be super confusing and soy gets really demonized. Um, which I understand, but at the same time, some of the components in soy, the isoflavins in soy, like they can be really helpful for the menopausal woman because they bind estrogen receptors. And instead of being um, like in a menopausal state, we often have very low estrogen because our ovaries are done and we don't have a lot of estrogen anymore. So we are deficient. We're estrogen deficient in menopause. And so those isoflavones in soy and in in other um, herbs and stuff, can and f- other foods can bind into the estrogen receptor and give you a little bump. And so, and, and turn those receptors on, it doesn't raise your estrogen in your body, but it does activate your estrogen receptor. But like, like this, like itty bitty, like teeny tiny amount. So if you went from zero to, you know, 2%, like that could be enough to help hot flashes. And so there, mm-hmm. and there is compelling research to say, you know, those menopausal women, if they have miso, if they have edamame, if they throw in some tempeh, assuming you're not allergic or intolerant to it or something like that, you know, they, mm-hmm, it right. could be, it could be beneficial to those symptoms. And so, yeah. yeah. But maybe eat some other foods with it. Yes. <laughs> yeah. And yeah. Not, not, not make your whole diet. Cause you read somewhere soy helps hot flashes and all of a sudden everything in your pantry is soy based. Yeah. Right. Right. <laughs> yeah. Cause we, we, I mean, we want that estrogen, especially as we age, right. For mm-hmm. bone health, for I heart, think, brain, uh, heart, brain, skin. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, And unfortunately I get asked a lot. I get asked, you know, like what is the one herb or nutrient that's going to increase my estrogen and especially in menopausal women. And I'm like, none, none of them do none, none, none herb, (laughs) poor grammar, but none (laughs) herb raises your estrogen. It's not how it works anymore. And so, um, but herbs do absolutely help mitigate symptoms. They absolutely, Mm -hmm. some of them, the phytoestrogens. So those plants that act like estrogens combined to the receptor and very, very, very mildly turn them on, um, could help relieve symptoms. Relieving symptoms doesn't mean it's protecting your bone. It doesn't mean it's protecting your brain. It doesn't mean it's working with your heart or your skin, but hot flashes, night sweats, like those things, it could be very beneficial for. And I think that's what trips, I know it's what trips women up. It's confusing. You hear phytoestrogen and -hmm. you think, oh, it's an estrogen. So therefore it's same, same. I'm like, no, if if the most potent estrogen in your body is E2, it's called estradiol. So if that's a hundred, if that's like it, a hundred, then these phytoestrogens are like a two, a four, maybe a six, you know, on a scale. Mm -hmm. And so it's not same, same helpful, but it's not going to turn you back into that (laughs) of a 32 year old again. I'm sorry to say. Right. Yeah. It's not fair. I mean, it's for sure (laughs) not fair or fun for women as they get older, but not fun at all. This is where the whole, like, we need that next course, the next manual, you know? Yeah. 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 Once you hit 35, here's your new manual. (laughs) Put it on the calendar. (laughs) I'm ready for that next manual. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) So we talked about bringing estrogen into the body. I would love to talk about estrogen detoxification. I, this is one of the coolest things that I've learned from you that it's really complex and we have three different phases, mm-hmm. maybe more. Um, I really love your bathtub analogy, like the sewer drain analogy. Can yeah. you kind of simplify the, the phases and what what's, I guess, important to each? So everything in your whole body, obviously everything has to get detoxified and your detoxification system works every day, 24, seven, 365. It doesn't take Christmas off. It doesn't take Sunday off. It doesn't take your birthday <laughs> off, right? Like it's always working. Yeah. And when you detoxify something, you have to, you like, you can't just like, let, let me give you an example. Like you can't just, if you get a plastic in your body, for example, um, you can't, you know, just plastic in then like plastic out. What the body does is it has to break it down into other compounds that can be then safely excreted out the other end. It's the same for your hormones. It's not estrogen in, estrogen out. It's estrogen in or created. And then you break it down and then you break it down again and then you can excrete it. And so it's a multi-step process. And that's why we call it phase one, phase two, and phase three, because it's this multi-step process. 
So my analogy is the bathtub analogy. When we go through phase one, I call that the water coming into your bathtub. So our water can never be turned off, but we can adjust it. And the, we have three different kinds of water that come through and they're numbered. There, there's a two kind of water, there's a four and there's a 16. And these are pathways your estrogens go down, two, four, 16. So now you have water in your bathtub. You need to drain it, which is the drain, which is phase two. So is your drain open? Is your drain closed? Is your drain clogged full of hair? Like I figured out mine was this morning. Like what's going on with the drain in your bathtub, right? And then now that you're through your drain, where does it go? Well, it, it goes out your sewer line and, and it gets carried away. And that's like through your kidneys and you urinate it out or through your intestines and you poop it out. And so that's your phase one, two, three, when it comes to your estrogens. Now I get asked a lot, okay, what do I do for each phase? I'm like, well, just like in your house, you would always start with your sewer line because if you've got a cracked sewer line, a broken sewer line, a clogged sewer line, you can adjust that drain and that water all you want. It doesn't matter. You're still going to overflow because your sewer line is, you know, grossed and clogged and what have you. So it comes with hydration and it's with affecting your intestines. So do you have a history of antibiotic use? You know, alcohol affects our gut microbiome. Um, do you have critters in there? Parasites, you know, candida, um, what, fiber. Do you have enough fiber? Do you go to the bathroom every day? Like what's going on with your intestinal health? And so we look there first, get it out. And then we back up to the drain. Cause again, if the drain is closed, I can't turn the water off. Like who cares what the water's doing? I got to open the drain. So now we open the drain. So the drain is managed by an enzyme known as, it's an abbreviation called COMT, right? COMT. And COMT loves magnesium. So now for women, I'm like, hey, now is the time to get your magnesium game going because it's the cofactor for this enzyme. Uh, zinc can be used as a backup. And so what's going on with your mineral status, first and foremost, but magnesium is a big one. Do you take Epsom salt baths? Okay, maybe now's the time. Are you taking magnesium? Maybe, maybe we need to look at your, mag your uh, magnesium and mineral intake. And then we go up to the water now. And as I said before, the water has three different pathways, the two, the four, and the 16 pathway. Sort of the preferred uh, less less cancerous pathway is the two pathway. That's the pathway we like. And that pathway is really driven by the broccoli, kale, cauliflower family. And so do you eat those foods? Do you eat them regularly every day? Um, because they can be really helpful. Also things like, like resveratrol, we hear of the supplement resveratrol, quercetin, which is in apples and onions can be also helpful for that pathway. There's a popular supplement called DIM, methane, DIM, which is in the broccoli, it's in the kale, it's in the cauliflower. Um, DIM also helps modulate that pathway. But as you know, everyone jumps on the DIM bandwagon and yep. like people give it out like Oprah gives out free cars. And I'm like, no, no, no. <laughs> yeah. You got to start with the sewer line and then the drain and then we move up. And what happens is women will jump on dim and they're like, oh, I feel amazing. It works so well. And then they doesn't and they don't. And things start to like, they feel toxic. They feel worse. They're, like their symptoms come back. I've had so many women write me and go, yeah, I did that. I jumped on dim, felt great for two months. And then I completely screwed myself up. I'm like, yeah, because you didn't affect the drain or the sewer line and you got, you got backup. It's yeah. also important to know that these pathways I'm talking about in the context of estrogen, they're the pathways for everything in your body. So we, everyone wants to focus on estrogen. And I'm like, you know, when you take DIM, you affect other things like polyaromagic hydrocarbons, which are toxic. Like you are going to affect other chemicals, other drugs, other hormones in your body when you affect these pathways. So be very, very mindful when you're trying to shift your drain, that enzyme I said earlier, COMT, also breaks down dopamine. It also breaks down epinephrine and norepinephrine. So if you're trying to, quote, speed it up for your estrogen, you're going to speed it up for your dopamine, your epinephrine, your norepinephrine. And is that what you really want? So you've just mm. got to be mindful that nothing in your body works as in a silo. Nothing's individual. Nothing's on its own independent path. Everybody's on the path often. Yeah. Be careful. Yeah. Uh, with the three different pathways, I mean, we could see that one is really low, like if 2OH is low and 16OH is high and you go to stimulate the 2OH, but then you really want a balance of all three, right? Like they all yeah. could be really dangerous. They all 
could yeah. also be too low. Do you see that often that the dial is just like reverse and it's like, ooh. Yeah, shoot. especially that. So the 16 pathway is actually the big, big, big main pathway. I mean, it's like a 12 lane superhighway in your body. It, it detoxifies. It's the first step in detoxification for most of your hormones medications and things you come in contact with your toxins. And so I will often get emails or messages or what have you from people who go, Oh my goodness, my 16 is high. I need to slow it down. I'm like, do you, are you sure? Be very mindful of what you're doing. I don't know. Cause it's, you know, it's your patient, but at the same time, if you slow it down, you're going to slow down its processing of everything, not just estrogen. Same when it's slow, when it's really, really slow. And people are like, Oh, I need to speed it up. It's way too slow. I'm like, just be mindful that the drain is open because it's literally processing everything, like 70 to 80% of everything. So if you speed it up and your drain is clogged, you're going to hurt her because mm. everything is going to get backed up and you're going to have a bathtub that overflows, not just with estrogen, but toxins and chemicals and xenobiotics and all this medications. So you have to be very careful. And then those women yeah. who are on medication or they're on like the birth control pill, if you go and speed up her detox to quote detoxify her, um, you're going to speed up the rate at which the medication is through her system. So if she's on hmm. the birth control pill and you've effectively just sped up or enhanced, I should say, her liver processing, you could effectively render her birth control not effective. So I've had lots of women go through these seven day, 14 day detoxes and then they get pregnant. They didn't want to get pregnant, but the birth control pill got pushed through the factory down the conveyor belt faster wow. and it loses its effectiveness. And she's like, I get breakthrough bleeding. I started ovulating. I got pregnant. I'm like, yeah, because you you clean, clean swept everything. So mm, and it goes the same with like antibiotics. It goes the same with blood pressure medication. Like it doesn't really matter what you're taking. If you're on these quote cleanses to speed things up or enhance what you do, just be mindful because if you really need that medication for life, it's just, if it's really important for whatever reason, you'll render it less effective and now you could be at risk. So just mm -hmm. be careful. That's really good to know. I was not aware of that. I mean, you know, we hear about certain medications, like you can't have grapefruit, right? Mm -hmm. Grapefruit juice, but like, we're not really hearing it about other things. So yeah. That's really good to know. Yeah. Any um, of those. Yeah. I hear it's funny. I had, I've had a lot of women through the years who've bought or been on or gone through where their yoga studio is doing a 12, you know, 14 day cleanse. And, uh, and then they're like, um, so, so I'm pregnant. I'm like, uh-huh. <laughs> oh and on the pill, like they so weren't, you know, they yoga. were, they were really trying not to become pregnant. And I'm like, well, you, you push the birth control pill faster. Mm, it's wow. effectiveness went down and you ovulated and when the sperm surprise. at the egg, surprise. Yeah. 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 That's nuts. So the detox worked. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Success. Oh my gosh. Yeah. But at the same time, we're also seeing the other extreme, like infertility is skyrocketing. Skyrocketing. Do you yeah. think a lot of that is from the toxins coming I mean, in? I would say it's like, I would say yes, all the above when it comes to fertility. Yeah. We know from men, hundred percent, there's so much research on sperm and I mean, even that, that study that came out, what, earlier this year, earlier this year about how penises are shrinking and sperm counts are going way down and yep. it's from toxins, you know, mm -hmm. it's, it's not just because like evolution's happening, you know, it's definitely from toxins. And so yeah. we know men's testosterone now is, is lower than it was 20 years ago, 50 years ago. So if you took a, if you took a 50 year old man 50 years ago and ran his testosterone, and then you took a 50 year old man now in 20. 21, it would be, it's, it's different. The 50 year old man from 50 years ago is much higher. Mm -hmm. So now with these ranges, labs have to adjust their ranges for the current population of what's normal. So a lot of times at Dutch, I'm telling practitioners just because it's an age range doesn't mean it's optimal range just because, and I know we're talking about men, but it applies to women too. For some of these age ranges like DHEA and testosterone for women, you may be in the age range of somebody who's 50 because you are 50, but you may feel better in the age range of somebody who's 30 because that's really where you should be if you were 50 years ago. And so we see this over and over when it comes to fertility. But I also think with fertility on the female side, um, you know, our brain is, is a female is constantly scanning our environment, 
are we safe enough and healthy enough to have a baby, whether you want a baby or not? Like, I don't want a baby at all, but my brain is constantly scanning for that. And so if you, if your body doesn't feel safe or there's a lot going on, it will divert. And so you may not ovulate that month. You may struggle to become pregnant because the body and the brain is just like, oh, the brain's like, let's, let's protect you. This isn't cool. So not only do you have all these endocrine disrupting hormones in our system. And we have all sorts of autoimmune that can affect it. We have all sorts of other endocrine issues like thyroid is an example that can affect it. Then put added stress of the pandemic in 2020. Now, obviously there were a lot of babies that were created because people were like, well, what else am I going to do? I work from home. <laughs> How great is this? Right, right. Where a lot of other women were really, really struggling. A lot of women were writing me and on social media going, is anyone else's period really weird? Like did anyone else hit June, July, August of 2020 and their hair was falling out. <laughs> the period got weird. I'm like, yes. Yeah. Cause it's yeah. like, it was constant fear, constant stress. And the brain was like, Ooh, not a good I time. Feel, not a good time. Down. And it's, it's individual. It's definitely not population. It's definitely individual. Cause clearly there are women who are going to go, oh, but my neighbor got pregnant and I can't, it's, it's just so individual with that. Yeah. 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 What's your resilience and what are you yeah. already dealing with? Exactly. How full is your bucket? And, and was 2020 just the last drop that made it overflow? And now you're, now you're really struggling. Yeah. Yeah. Um, where does sex hormone binding globulin come into that? Is that, do we see that elevated when women are really stressed? Um, I don't see it with stress. Um, I see it a lot with estrogen. So especially women on the birth control pill. So that high excessive estrogen will increase all the binding globulins. So sex hormone binding globulin, thyroid binding globulin, cortisol binding Mm -hmm. globulin, um, and so it'll, it'll go way up to counter it, to be like, Ooh, I can bind this up. I'll, you know, I'll mop this up and fix the problem. Hmm. Now the, what's hard is that when you, we hear this a lot, women go on the birth control pill to prevent pregnancy, but then in some cases when, because that binding globulin goes up, it binds up her testosterone as well. And now, and now we're libido goes down because <laughs> she's, she's like on the pill to prevent pregnancy, but it's not in the mood because it, the byproduct is you lose testosterone. And so we see it all the time at Dutch. I saw it all the time in practice of women will go on the pill for five years, 10 years, 20 years. And then it, once their testosterone is down, once their sex hormone binding globulin is up, it's kind of permanent. Literature says it's kind of permanent and it's real. Oh, wow. Real, 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 real tough to get it back down again. So I've had a lot of women post pill go, I still can't get a libido back. My testosterone is still Mm -hmm. kind of permanently low. And I'm like, honey, I know it's a crap side effect that nobody taught you when you were 18 and went on the pill. And 10 years later or 15 years later, when you went off to try to have a baby, nobody told you it's probably not going to rebound like you had hoped. Because everyone's just worried about don't get me pregnant or regulate my periods. Nobody, you know, like nobody was really warning an 18 year old or 16 year old or 20 year old about their testosterone. That's another manual that's needed. It's a whole other manual. I know it's a whole other manual, but although there's a, you know, there's beyond the pill by Dr. Jolene Brighton. That's a pretty good manual for the, yeah, that's great. I love that book. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I was somehow like, Renee and I got like a, a point. I know. Somehow we got like a little side memo. Luckily, b- both of us went off of the pill very quickly. We're mm-hmm. not on a very, and I, I don't even remember what what it was, what the big red flag was. But I'm just like, thank God, I didn't. Yeah, go for my me, I was I was a monster on it. I I was on it for two months, and I was dating my now husband of ten years. I was dating him at the time, and I was just like getting annoyed by him. I was like trying to break up with him like, mm-hmm. for two months. And he was like, it might be the birth control you're taking. I got off of it. And like, I've been fine ever since. So Fair enough. good job, Ryan. <laughs> and he's smart. He knew. Yeah. Smart yeah. that one. <laughs> so that was enough for me to just get off of it and, and then get more into like natural family planning and tracking yeah. my cycle that like instigated that path for me. And I'm super and grateful for it. It's definitely not fair because I get asked a lot, like, well, what would you tell your teenage daughter? You know, like, oh, do you not believe in the birth control pill? I'm like, I believe in the birth control pill. I mean, it's, sometimes it's the option. Like, It is what it is. But what I don't believe in, I don't believe in not informing women of kind of a lot about the birth control pill. So 
I, I wish that there was a lot more check-in. I wish there was a lot more like, hey, you know, even as an 18-year-old, I know 18-year-olds are embarrassed and they're like, they don't want to hear it, but like, hey, look, we're going to check in about this every year. And I'm going to run you through these questions about your mood and your gut and your weight and your skin, like all these things, because the birth control pill can affect those things. Obviously other things can too, but I just kind of want to know, like if your headache's gotten worse, you know, like, is your mood gone down? Are you feeling more depressed? Like, how's your libido? Like all these things, because if the birth control pill is, you know, if they decide it's the right thing for them, it's my job as the practitioner to make sure that they're going to be okay and yeah. don't get five years down the road, six years down there, eight years down the road and, and have been developing the side effects and everyone's blowing it off. Like, oh, I'm getting more depressed. Oh, here's this, here's this SSRI, right? Here's this antidepressant. Mm. Like, oh, I'm having a lot of gut issues. I feel, oh, it's IBS. Like here's an IBS medication. <laughs> it's like, well, hold, hold on. Add another med. <laughs> right. Like it's possible. Yeah. It could be the birth control and there's, we can, let's work with that. Let's see what we can do. Right. And so that I'm not against the concern. pill. I know a lot of people are very, um, anti-pill because of they're like, oh, it's an endocrine disruptor. Yeah, it, yeah, it is totally. Yeah. But we don't have a lot of great options. And I, you know, and when it yeah. comes to preventing pregnancy. Yeah. I know Dr. Br- Dr. Do. Brighton says that too. Like it was made for a reason, but yeah. at the very least we should be educating young women about yeah. diet and gut health. Yeah. Or even just there's, there's now a company and I forget its name, but they, they're, um, it's a very cute, clever name too, but it's, a they give you, it's created by pharmacists. And they give you the nutrients you're missing from the medications that you're taking. So if you're on the birth control pill, they have a supplement that has all the things that the birth control pill is going to render low from a nutrient standpoint, like the B vitamins, probiotics, what have you. And I was like, oh, that's brilliant because as, as functional practitioners, right, the three of us are educating about this, but in, in maybe more conventional land, they are not, or they're leaving it up to yeah. the pharmacist who is really busy and has a lot going on. It doesn't have time to educate them about B12 or B6 or what have you and the birth control pill. So oh, I, awesome. I'm hoping, I'm hoping that this company takes off or that like more pharmacy education, more conventional education of, Hey, you know what? You're on the birth control pill and it depletes B vitamins. And it, you know, like maybe you should take a probiotic right. it, just, just general, like obviously functional medicine approaches it a little more personalized, but even just generally yeah. across the land of women on the pill knew like, oh, it depletes a lot of nutrients that I probably need. And it's why I feel like crap. And sometimes on the pill, I should replete them with these nutrients. Yeah. Yeah. That would be amazing to see with like all medications. Like, yeah. Okay. Here's a statin, yeah. but we're also going to give you B12 and CoQ10. Yeah. Like, I mean, just as a baseline to just cover some of those. Yeah. I agree. Really cool. I totally agree. I think it definitely very is cool. very cool you know, the new wave, even though we've been talking about it for years, right. As functional practitioners, finally, I think there's enough pushback from the general public of, Hey, wait a minute. This is actually in the literature. Like this is established in pharmacy law, you know, like these things get depleted. They, we know this in the, in the big pill books, the big pill reference books. Why aren't we educating women to replete themselves? Yeah. yeah. And to know your personal body. So something like methylation, I know you talk mm-hmm. a lot about CMT. I know it, MTHFR has been popular for so long, mm-hmm. but it sounds like Compt is the rising star. Yep. <laughs> yep. For sure. Um, and so if you're not getting those cofactors, but actually I'm just going to ask you for advice, where does, what does genetics fit in for you? And how would you say to start that process of figuring out what nutrients you need? So I'm a, I am a big fan of genetic testing if it fits in your budget, but I am not a big fan of genetic testing. It's kind of first line defense. If it doesn't fit in your budget, because If you get your genetics tested, let's say that's all it fits in your budget, you get your genetics tested and you find out your COMT, as an example, is slow. You have the slow variant. Now that means you process, your drain is slow, right? Your drain is slow to process estrogen. Your drain is slow to process dopamine. Your drain is slow to process uh, epinephrine, norepinephrine. In theory, we don't actually know how slow your drain is, which is why I like, like the Dutch test to show what's happening in real time. So the genetics tells me what potentially could go wrong. And then I like to know what's happening in real time because Mm -hmm. I have lots of people who have completely normal estrogens, completely normal dopamine, epinephrine, norepinephrine. And they'll go, well, that's weird because my COMT is slow. I'm like, but the body's smart. It's possible your body's figured it out or it's not as slow as you think or Mm -hmm. slow is relative or you're taking other nutrients and supplements to quote, speed it up. And so it's not really a problem for you. And so if you, but if you just looked at the genetics, then you would only be 
you would be assuming things are fast or slow or normal that may not be. On the flip side, yeah. yeah. Your COMT on genetics may be completely normal. So the normal variant's actually a little bit fast, believe it or not. So you may look at that and go, oh, I'm I have no problems detoxing estrogen because my test result says it's normal. But things like quercetin and things like a lot of green tea and things like estrogen will slow the COMT down on its own. So then you mm -hmm. get real-time testing and real-time testing shows your drain is, is clogged. And you're like, what the heck? But my genetic test says it's normal. But you're taking quercetin every day because it's allergy season and you're really tired. So you're drinking three or four cups of green tea and, <laughs> you know, maybe you're on the birth control pill or women on HRT or like there's, you know, there's other and it's slowing it down. So, yeah, that's why I love genetic testing. I love to pair the two together. But if yeah. budget is the issue, I don't start with genetic because I want real time testing. And, yeah. and then yeah. I can add in genetic later when I'm trying to really work through the rest of the puzzle pieces that are stumping us that makes yeah. sense. for, for makes risks. Sense. Yeah. yeah. Um, I've been doing Dr. Ben Lynch's strategy and training. I just got mine back. I'm so excited. Oh, amazing. I know. I still <laughs> need to do mine now that I finished the 14 week training, but it, it really is so complicated, like learning what speeds up the different pathways and slows down the yeah. pathways. It's like, oh my gosh. But yeah, so I, I, I have his chart. Well, I have his book right there. It's the green oh, book. Oh, yes. You have a nice right. bookshelf I'm like, there. Right, right there. It's all like color coded. Yeah. And then his big pathway planner. So Ben, Dr. Lynch yeah. used to have um, his seeking health conferences for years. And then he stopped those to flip to focus on supplements and the testing. He, he was like priorities. And so um, he, anyway, at these conferences, we used to get these huge uh, pathway planners. And so it was this great visual of all the things that turn things on and turn things off. And when it came to variants, and man, they were so, so helpful. So I hope he- yeah. Once we're allowed to like really do conferences again, I hope he he does conferences yeah, so we can get updates on these on these planners. Yeah, awesome. that'd be awesome. <laughs> so, Dr. Curry, we have like fifty-two more questions for you, but we want to be mindful of your time. Right. Sorry. So, <laughs> we're gonna close this out. We would love to ask you for one piece of advice if you could give our audience a piece of advice that they could start doing today. Right yes. now, I am all about free, cheap, and easy, and so I we've talked shown up with the cortisol awakening response, but it's to use light and dark to your advantage because you can. So in our brain, we have clock genes. The clock genes are literally like the clock on your wall. They set the rhythm for everything in your body, whether it's your reproductive rhythm, whether it's your, when you're hungry rhythm, how you go to sleep rhythm, how you get up in the morning rhythm, all these rhythms get set by these clock genes. And then every single gland in your body has mini clocks or baby clocks that gets set by things, but they kind of answer to the clock and the mama clock in the brain. Well, the mama clock in the brain, the main clock gene, it sets and resets by lightness and darkness. Now, and I say this a lot, like notice I didn't say ashwagandha, notice I didn't say yoga and notice I didn't say intermittent fasting. While all those things are amazing and I believe in all of them, they are not the main setters and resetters, light and dark is. And so give the clock gene what it wants, which is lightness and darkness. So in the morning, get full spectrum light, open your window, go outside, spend five, 10, 15 minutes in natural light. Don't stare at the sun and burn out your eyes, please be smart. But like getting that, that natural light helps set the clock. And then at night you do the complete opposite. You wind down, you wear blue light blocking glasses, you dim your lights, you be careful of your screen time and you sleep in complete darkness. Make sure there's no night lights and blinky lights and, you know, alert lights or wear an eye mask so that you don't have to see any of that stuff. And what that does is that helps set and reset how your clock works, which then helps reset your reproductive hormones. It helps with hunger. It helps with blood sugar and insulin release. It helps with everything else that works on a clock in your body. It helps like, is it magic for some people? Yeah. But for a lot of people, it just helps and it's free, cheap, and easy. So light and dark. Now, for those of you yeah. who go, well, I live in an environment where it's, or I get up really early and the sun's not out, you can, you can buy it. You can fake it. So on Amazon, buy the $20, $30 full spectrum light box. That's usually, it's usually 10,000 lux and turn it on in the morning and you have it on your counter while you're getting ready, making coffee, putting on your makeup, whatever it is. And having that full spectrum light box that mimics the sun can be quite healthy. And I get asked a lot, do I have a preferred company or I, I don't. And the reason I don't, because they come in different shapes and sizes. And some of them 
are like more portable than others. And some of them like you can clip onto your computer. So my best friend has one that like hangs over her computer. So when she starts work in the morning, she turns it on. And so I don't know what you like, you know, everybody's preferences are different. And so, yeah, yeah, just make sure it says full spectrum, read the reviews, you know, and then fits in your budget and then use that if it's dark in the morning. So that's what I do. That's a great, great. hack. Yeah. Yeah. I love we it. Love free, and cheap and easy too. Free, cheap and easy. Right. I'm all about yes. fit. And, and that's the great thing about, I mean, a lot of health is expensive a lot, but a lot of our basics that get overlooked because people are like, oh, that's not sexy. I'm like, but they're free, cheap and easy. So yeah, that's why not? What's the problem? Yeah. Great advice. Wonderful. Well, we will send people to your website and then also Instagram. Your Instagram page is mm-hmm. awesome. We love your <laughs> posts all the time. So if you're not already you. following Dr. Carey, definitely um, check out the show notes. We'll link to that. Um, anywhere else people should be following you? Instagram is definitely where I hang out. I'm definitely okay. very visual, all education. Great. So at dr.carryjones. Awesome. Awesome. Thank We're you. so grateful. Thank you oh, so much thank for being you. with us today. This is awesome. We learned so much and we can't wait for our audience to love it too. Oh, I appreciate that. Thanks. Yes. And thank you to everyone at home for tuning in today. We'll see you next time. Love this episode of the Biohacker Babes podcast? Head over to Apple Podcasts to subscribe, rate, and leave a review. We truly appreciate your support. Until then, happy biohacking. This podcast offers health, fitness, and nutritional information and is designed for educational purposes only. You should not rely on this information as a substitute for, nor does it replace professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. If you have any concerns or questions about your health, you should always consult with a physician or other healthcare professional.